Chapter Six of The Column of Dust by Evelyn Underhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Josh Middledorf. Chapter Six: Three Sorts of Ignorance. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. For man has closed himself up till he sees all things through narrow chinks of his cavern. Blake, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. Constance stood high upon a ladder, vainly trying to keep pace with the interminable dusting and tidying which mingles domesticity with literature in all well-ordered bookshops. The tightly packed shelves rose like a stratified cliff from floor to ceiling within a few inches of her eyes, and she was poised in the air amongst them like some climber hung upon the face of a precipice, intent on their service, as is the way with born librarians and bibliophiles. There was something intimate, personal, and homely in her relation with each volume. She loved them, and it pleased her to tend them. The monotony of her occupation induced, mechanically, a feeling of security and peace. It was like knitting, raised to the intellectual plane. Now and again, when a footstep caught her attention and suggested the possibility of an early customer, she turned for a moment and glanced downward. Then she obtained an excellent view of the establishment and also of the landscape which was framed by the open door. A little patch of pavement, some bits of dirty paper in the gutter, the skirts and trousers of pedestrians, the tail-tips of many passing dogs. These, because they were living, moving things, exhilarated her. She longed to touch them and feel their delightful warmth. The exquisite children in white gaiters, their nurses, who hastened to Kensington Gardens with a novelette peeping under the perambulator rug. The active, prosperous girls taking their terriers for a morning walk. She was alone, and therefore wholly under the dominion of the Watcher, capital W. So constant was his presence, so rare were the moments in which she obtained possession of herself, that this state of things had begun to seem almost natural. She was getting accustomed to his point of view, to the curious mixture of ignorance and arrogance, the breadth and pettiness that he displayed. She regretted her experiment, for his companionship was not pleasant and he gave as yet no illumination in return for his lodging. She, as she divined, must teach him the earth. He was busy with his lessons, probing, guessing, questioning all the while, but he had nothing to impart about the heavens in exchange, and this was disappointing. Seeking a greater freedom, she had been caught in a peculiarly exasperating slavery. But the thing was done, with the fatalism that was an aspect of her general acceptance of life, she acquiesced, quietly enough, in the queer rearrangement of things, and this so completely that her outward demeanour was unchanged by it. Mr. John had not even suspected her of neuralgia, much less of demoniac possession. The dust that she was had dignity, it was not easily thrown into turmoil by the breezes of the abyss. She took up her existence and dealt with it day by day, with her old solidity and calm. Nevertheless, she had had a hard week of it. 
There was her ordinary work to perform, and the spring publishing season was now upon them. There was Vera to attend at the opening and the close of every day. There were the innumerable small duties, the makings and mendings, letting out of tucks, inserting of clean collars, which wage-earning women can never delegate. These things had always filled the routine side of life to overflowing. Now there was added to them the entertainment of the sleepless watcher, whose passionate domination of her senses left her exhausted and bewildered every night. He had a ceaseless eagerness to see, hear, touch, and smell the odd and clumsy world into which he had pushed his way. So her ears, her eyes, and hands did the work of two, and whenever her will was dormant for a moment, his seized the helm and drove the tired body on to fresh experience and the tired mind to fresh interpretation. There were no more visual hallucinations, no apparent interferences with the laws of external life, only the constant presence of an alien point of view and of a self, a thing, an actual if intangible personality that put the machinery of her brain to its own purpose. This personality infected her, gave her a new flavor, a new relation to the other constituents of life, as when an aromatic herb is introduced into the casserole, its real spirit enters into a permanent union with the chicken. Thus, very often, she hardly knew whether the thoughts that she had and the words that she said were symbols of the watcher's ideas or her own. Already she had almost forgotten what the dear and natural world had been used to look like before her powers of perception received this disagreeable twist. Now unnaturalness had become the standard of reality. There was only one escape from his overpowering companionship, only one door of return to her true self. When other people entered into communication with her, when life, real life, put in a peremptory claim and she responded, there was civil war, her will to live struggling with his will to know. Then, if the external forces of life were strong enough, the human drove back the inhuman, and the social normal constants emerged with a great sense of relief. But even so, she was always acutely conscious of the besieger at her gates, waiting till the reinforcements should be withdrawn. Then he was back again, unfriendly, egotistical, rather contemptuous. Life, for him, was an odd and interesting exhibition, and she the showwoman. He had a right to her services. He had recovered from the first horror of his fall and was prepared to enjoy himself, but he could not understand existence, nor could she explain it, for she had never before noticed that it stood in need of explanation violently and passionately he demanded the grammar of life and she who had always spoken the language of course knew nothing of its rules he found some difficulty in trimming perceptions which had been framed for eternity to the narrow outlook of a bookseller's manager in a west end street bit by bit he was learning the uses of her senses eagerly practising these new delightful tricks of sight and hearing, on every little object within range. But all manifestations of energy seemed to him to be much upon a level. They were but moments in the movements of the dream, 
and there was nothing in his idea of things which could help him to distinguish the trivial from the important incidents of life birth and death trade and traffic food and clothes each raised in him astonished curiosity hence he assumed absurdly that all these new objects of his knowledge must equally and of necessity be worth the knowing and concentrated eagerly upon the plots of novels the flavor of food the very names of the streets trying to find out the meaning or with a more annoying particularity their use worse when she or those whom he viewed through her eyes acted he presumed a reason for the act she was helpless before the misconceptions of a creature who applied the stanzas of the infinite to civilized daily life he was amazed by all that he saw by that love of the aboriginal borough which constrains the londoner whenever possible to perform the secret operations of storage cookery and travel underground by the teeming streets in which our urban populations are everlastingly content to fidget he could not comprehend the incessant pouring to and fro of people by all these spacious highways and plated alleys seen from his universe they were like mercury scattered on a disk which runs without reason in a hundred little processions and solitary drops unites into a formless wriggling mass and breaks away again to an unending repetition of the process now from the top of the ladder as he caught glimpses of the eternal crawl of women past the shops the eternal vacant hurry of the men his questions began to besiege her came between her and the orderly and satisfying work on which she longed to concentrate her weary mind they are all alive all conscious i suppose these little creatures that i see run by at least they like to think that they are alive but why should they be always on the move what is the use of movement are they not able to be still their bodies first run one way and then they run the other i see them do it with a strange determination as if it mattered a great deal but it makes no difference really does it they cannot get away yet life means staying here does it not being glued to the ground and death means getting away however much they run about they cannot get out of the knot until they die is this restlessness the beginning of their dying the creeping of something that is already corrupt constance answered no it is proof of their vitality they cannot rest cannot be idle because they are alive and have so many things to do she could think of no better explanation he retorted at once but there are no real things to do reality does not change it is perfect and very quiet i have always existed in it and therefore i know this activity is a loathsome illusion it has no relation to the real they think that it has how can they think that they know about death they know that they are crumbling all the time well they don't think about death this is life and they want to live it whilst they can what a foolish and unreasonable wish surely one may live taste life be in it even acquiesce in the decay 
without the eternal fretfulness of doing things <sighs> i do not know said constance but it seems to be implicit in the game we are pushed you know for the most part we don't do very much of it ourselves perhaps if you played the game you would understand you see when these people die they will leave things behind them children perhaps whom they must get going in life humanity is a chain not a lot of little spots when people run to and fro they are pulled by the other links but the children will die in their turn they will all die then they will exist in the real forever and ever without earning or eating or any kind of fuss so why undertake this weariness and struggle just to stay a few more hours within the dream it is so ugly miserable and meaningless why do they not all try to die as soon as they can why do you not try to die now at once disentangle yourself from this dream constance replied to her own supplies that is against the rules she had not known it before now she was certain of it it was as if he coming behind had pushed her on beyond her normal standpoint as well as his own till she saw involuntarily things which were yet below his horizon that is incomprehensible said the watcher but if there are rules the game must be real and there must be a meaning in it the game that i see with your eyes and your brain is lawless it has no prize and no object nothing happens within it which is real glancing back on her own experience constance said real things do happen even in this corner but only to one's self i think that you would hardly notice them they look so little so unimportant to outsiders compared with the beginning and strange endings of the game but they are hideous these things replied the watcher they are like the bubbles of putrescence which happen and die but cause nothing leave no trace they confuse the game if there is one hide the meaning i suppose it is concealed somewhere beneath the froth of action if it is there i must find it i will and i shall then constance suddenly realized that the thing which he was judging so harshly was not life the great goddess but her own life the little circle of sensation in which she moved and he with her seen with the stranger's eye it was indeed squalid senseless she thought with shame of her breakfast table the dingy threadbare cloth which had to last a week in spite of many brown and greasy stains the smutty chipped and unpleasant appearance of the milk jug the smears and the sloppiness vera's face when she had finished eating her egg then she thought of the dreary street and the bookshop and miss reekin the next-door milliner who often offered her a cup of tea that was really all day by day she went around this little ring of experience with the docility and regularity of a circus horse and she offered this to the watcher who had been dragged out of infinity by his passionate curiosity his determination to know that mystery of life which she saw even from the lodging-house window as the lustrous and many-coloured garment of her god this was the thing that with all her opportunities with the fierce flame of adventure burning in her heart she offered to eternity 
as her rendering of existence. She was ashamed, feeling herself guilty of a lack of patriotism in that she had shown this foreign guest no better thing. She said to him suddenly, Go, go, find all the wonders, look for the thread. Don't stay in this corner with me. But he answered almost in anger, I cannot go, for no one else will receive me. And without a habitation, how am I to stay within this dream? Her eyes were opened for an instant then. The cliff of books fled far away, and she saw the tideless and everlasting sea of spiritual existence and life like a little iridescent ball of foam blown across the surface of the waves. She was an infinitesimal bubble in that insubstantial mass. In an instant it would be dissolved, reabsorbed in the ocean, all its cherished separateness forever gone. Meanwhile the watcher nested within her bubble and was blown with her over the deeps. She shared in this moment his contemptuous bewilderment confronted with the little colored evanescent world of sense, even admitted a hateful doubt when he murmured, I suppose you are alive, real, eternal, somewhere, inside, behind it all, only caught much tighter than I am, and able to believe in nothing but the dream. She thought, suppose that I were not real, suppose that I, too, were a dream. She turned from that vision in horror and fear. The collector, who had been making up the order list in the back office, here passed through the shop and said to her, Torrington's traveller is here, miss. The governor says, will you please see him as soon as you are disengaged? Send him in, said Constance, and she descended the ladder with a feeling of gratitude for unexpected rescue from a thickening web. Mr. John came with the traveller, a bearded, intelligent person gathering a small black bag who might have been mistaken for an unsuccessful doctor had he looked more convincingly antiseptic. I think, said Mr. John to his manager, that we can do with a dozen of their mixed poets in quartervellum. They come three and nine apiece, if you take a quantity, interrupted the traveller. Marvellous value. Artistically tooled backs and assorted labels, the best thing our firm has done in presentation poets. You won't regret them. A splendid window line, and safe at five and six in this district. Mr. John threw down the catalogue upon Constance's desk. Just make a good selling selection, Miss Tyrell, he said. The action looked dignified, and he knew that it was judicious. Burns? Scott? Whittier? suggested the traveller, eagerly. She shook her head. No good to us. I'll take Keats, too, and Shelley, too. Milton, one. We don't do much in Milton's lately. Browning? Only the earlier works, of course. Oh, yes, I had better have three Robert and one Mrs. Four. More to make up the dozen. Put me in some Longfellows. We shall want them for the school prize season later on. You're a good buyer, miss, said the traveller, grudgingly. His voice was succeeded by a very sweet and gentle one which murmured, See, Felix, this is how they order the books we buy to read. Is it not interesting? This must be the lady whom father knows, I think. How sad and how surprising to find that Longfellow still sells so well. Why? said Felix. Muriel answered. He had bourgeois ideals, darling. You will understand that when you are a bigger boy. 
Constance, catching this reply, at once divined a customer of the more fastidious sort, assumed that air of understanding which seemed so sympathetic and was really so businesslike, and said in a reassuring tone, "'He is not generally read, of course, but we have a large educational collection, and I am obliged to buy for that.' "'Nothing, I think,' said the lady firmly, "'exerts a worse influence on the developing emotions of children than the feebler poetry of the Victorian era. One should give them myth, the myth of all the religions.' for religions were invented in the childhood of the world, were they not? Miss Tyrell, whom these statements had merely amazed, glanced at the new customer, and was at once wholly subjugated by her appearance, being one of those women for whom the crucial encounter and the overmastering appeal must always come from one of her own sex. As she put it to herself, men were interesting animals, but women mattered most. This brilliant, young, absurd self-conscious creature with her serene expression embroidered dress and artistically unusual hat was like a pretty novelty suddenly exhibited in the shop window of life she revived constance's drooping belief in the resources of the establishment so she at once became interested wanted the delightful thing and did not stop to ask the price muriel who often found it prudent to adopt a deferential tone when speaking to those whom she believed to be her inferiors, now said to her, I really ought to apologize for coming in and troubling you like this, and just, I am afraid, at the busy time of the day, but, you see, my husband mentioned you in connection with a very curious little book on magic that he bought here lately. He seemed to think that you would be kind enough to tell me something about it, and, in fact, it was he who advised me to come." She thought, as Andrew is such a good customer, she will have to be civil to me after that. As for Constance, she at once perceived that this must be the wife of the midday friend, and was amazed that a creature who was at once beautiful, intelligent, and ridiculous could fail to satisfy the demands of any reasonable man. She had pictured Mrs. Vince as austere, flat-waisted, even early Italian in type, but Andrew evidently possessed a fascinating toy, and would not be content because it refused to be turned into a companion. This was foolish of him. Where he would not play, Constance, whose toy-cupboard life had not furnished very richly, was willing enough to enjoy the opportunity of a game. At this moment she felt the desperate need of something to fall in love with, something that would restore her lost confidence in the world of sense, and Muriel, being both silly and pretty, seemed specially adapted to this purpose. She said, I think the little book that you mean must be the grimoire that Mr. Vince bought here a few days ago. I'm afraid I cannot tell you very much about that. It was bought in with a number of other old books at a country sale, and has no history. It was Felix who replied, We don't want to know about history, thank you. Mummy knows about that. We really have come because she doesn't know about undines and if they are real. You see, it's rather important, because, of course, if they are real, I shall have to know about them when I'm bigger boy. Father said, you know about everything. My husband, said Mrs. Vince, is hardly what one would call a bookish man, though he tells me that he often comes here for novels and so forth. But I am interested in these subjects. They are most curious, as I dare say, 
and i find few things so satisfying to the intuitive senses as subliminal psychology i fancied from what he told me that you were also a student of psychic things and of their relation to the mystical and occult constance fell she did not seriously suppose that muriel's charming appearance indicated any understanding of transcendental matters but she was in that mood which makes a shipwrecked man drink sea-water knowing that it will only induce a more maddening thirst but unable to resist the momentary consolation she therefore said i told mr vince when he bought the little book that it was not so absurd as it seemed i am afraid that he thought me very silly and credulous but evidently you are more inclined to agree with me as she spoke the troubled movements of the watcher reminded her that she was dealing disingenuously even frivolously with one of the sparsely distributed realities which had enabled him to forge a link between infinity and earth you must not let my husband's remarks annoy you said muriel all men are materialists and really i don't know that one wants them to be anything else but i do so entirely agree with you few things are so absurd as they seem i think and even if they were one should keep an open mind toward the unseen in the light of modern thought we are learning to understand these subjects more and more constance replied modern thought makes no difference you know really the thing is there and always has been at the most we have only given it new names and invented a new explanation how interesting of you to say so exclaimed muriel i see that you are a medievalist and you are really inclined to take magic seriously you believe that the old occultists were justified in the claims that they made that there is something in it beyond self-suggestion and hypnosis i don't believe said constance because i know it's the people who don't know who have to try and believe i should think that they would find it rather difficult she stopped but it was too late muriel whom unorthodox dogmatism always delighted invited her to tea with enthusiasm the astonished voice of the watcher cried in its turn go go and constance amazed by the suddenness of the event consented as they left the shop felix said to his mother mummy i think this is a new kind of lady muriel misunderstood him darling she said lots of ladies wear pinafores and do work different inside i mean said felix firmly muriel who shared the opinion of the best modern authorities on family life that we can learn more from our children than they can learn from us looked back at miss tyrell with renewed interest she felt that her careful development of the boy's subconscious mind was already having its reward she would be able to use him as a terrier in seeking out those abnormal persons whose presence in her drawing-room gave her so much delight she caught constance's eye as she turned the watcher had come back to the window and muriel noticed with surprise their wild and strange expression of bewilderment loneliness and curiosity poor thing she thought i expect she has a very dull time of it commercial society must be most trying to such an intelligent woman as that my visit has been quite an excitement i'm glad that i asked her to call End of chapter 6